and so what are we calling that segment flex or nez what are we what are we what are we calling it streaming wrecks of the month we should wait can we relate to one of our one of your names flex flex picks Ooh, that's like that's a good one flex picks is good that's a good one flex is streaming picks so okay flex picks I think Flix is streaming picks. Flick flack, flick flack, flickeroo. Flick flack, flick flack anonymous. Okay, so are we good now? Rick's picks are. Oh, wait, so I have, what have we decided on? Flix picks or Flix streaming picks? Ricky Flix is streaming picks. Ricky Flix is sick streaming picks. Too much. Slick Ricky Flix is streaming picks. Six of Slick Rick's streaming picks picks what the hell are you even saying now <laughs> all right so we got that i'll tasty say licks rex licks <laughs> tasty uh, licks ricky flicks ricky flicks is six licky picks the tasty licks <laughs> this is the driver podcast episode 14 take one Welcome to episode 14 of the Drive-In Podcast. We have a huge episode for you today. We have the checkup with Dr. O, talking about the latest news in the movie industry, our movie review of Oscar contender Mank, and a new segment, Ricky Flicks' Streaming Picks. So use the restroom now, silence your phones, grab your popcorn, and get ready for the 14th episode of the Drive-In Podcast. Gentlemen, gentlemen, here we are, episode 14. I'm ready. It's going to be one of our biggest ever. We've got a lot of great news. We've got a new segment coming. Uh, I'm really excited. How's everybody else feeling today? I'm doing great. Uh, it's been a heck of a weekend, and uh, I'm doing great, like, like entertainment-wise. Got to watch Mank. Got an exciting week of football, but I'm, not, I'm actually – like I'm really nervous with my own technology in front of me right now. I'm having some like tech difficulties. Uh, I, and this started last week with my microphone and my computer, my computer's randomly dying. And uh, now I have a situation where I found out my battery is needs to be replaced. And so I kind of like did a little research. I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, battery needs to be replaced. What does this mean? What if I don't get it replaced? And then once I typed in, like what will happen to my computer, if I don't replace my battery ASAP, I just saw that like that picture of a corroded, computer that just like combusted that just exploded. oh my god <laughs> now i'm nervous that like when we're recording that like my laptop is just going to absolutely like implode like it's just gonna go crazy spring everywhere and i'm gonna be i'm gonna suffer suffer death by podcast well let's hope that happens dr o because that would be great pr for the <laughs> the podcast if you go viral for that i mean yeah if i make it i might i might have a face afterwards and i'm like that's why it's good we're on a podcast so they can just listen to my voice as if i still have like lips to talk with so, that'd be um, even better 
That'd be good for your character arc. Then you can be Two Face after that and become a, com- like change your persona completely. Doctor Harvey, D- Doctor O Harvey Dent, <laughs> Doctor Dent, <laughs> and like and you and you guys are making me do it. So like I would get revenge on you guys somehow. Create a rival podcast, like the Man with No Face or something like that. <laughs> we're only at episode fourteen. We're talking about rival podcasts, splitting the group apart. <laughs> Not good. Yeah, this is this is this is not good for uh for so now it's not a good idea if this explodes now. Uh eh, we'll see about that. We'll see. We'll see what happens, you know. Flex, how you doing? I'm doing great. Mank week, baby. Had a great time watching that movie three times. I will watch it a fourth very soon. Can't wait to talk about it with you two. I'm ready to roll. Watch it three times? Is that a problem? The first time it was like I was it kinda, came out Friday. <laughs> I know, but I watched at midnight, like twelve thirty, twelve forty-five, and it was like uh, I was like I was watching it, but I really wanted to watch it when I'm not completely tired, haven't been up for fifteen hours straight. So watched it again, and then it was so good. I watched it again with the captions on, and it was fantastic. But we'll get into that later. All right, all right. Well, let's get this party started with the checkup with Doctor O. Dr. O, check us up. Oh, I missed the old tagline. I'm going to check the listeners up, okay? Leading off, we have maybe the biggest news in movie theaters. Like, I don't know, since like since all these delays started happening, maybe the biggest news that all could mean could signal the end of what we know as movie theaters. Warner Brothers is putting its entire 2021 theatrical slate on HBO Max for the film's respective first month of release. And it's going to be at the same time with a global cinema release. So we're getting movies on HBO Max uh, and in theaters at the same time. And uh, so I think it's also important that I go over a couple of the films that are going to be going on the streaming service concurrently with uh, theaters and you're going to be able to see movies like Denzel Washington's The Little Things, Judas and the Black Messiah, Tom and Jerry, Godzilla vs. Kong, Mortal Kombat, uh, The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It, In the Heights, Space Jam, Suicide Squad, Dune, The Many Saints of Newark, King Richard, Matrix 4, just all these movies, these tentpole movies are coming to HBO Max at the same time. Boys, is this the end of movie theaters, Flex? The end. This is the end. Make movie theaters cool again has is on the ropes. It's on the ropes, Doctor O and Nez. It's sad when I saw so this news. We're in a losing was, battle. <laughs> it's the year we come out with a podcast. It's a with our, for beer. our slogan: "Make movie theaters cool again." The pandemic, they delayed Tenant, delayed Dune till next year, and they basically HBO Warner Brothers say, you know what? Let's just put a dagger in the drive-in podcast heart by saying that everything will be released in streaming as well at the same time. Just heartbreaking. On the ropes, Dr. O and Nez. On the ropes. Dr. O, uh, I listened to all the movies you just announced, and I know we're a movie podcast, and you know I should automatically be hovering to being like, Dune is going to be on streaming. Whoa. But they're making a Tom and Jerry movie? We is that about really it. happening? I don't think so. Maybe, maybe this is when I was on my hiatus when my microphone was not working. I think, but Flex, I think we talked about that movie. There's a Tom and Jerry movie coming out. Yeah, and Mortal Kombat. I love. We Mortal had a trailer. Kombat. 
Oh my god! There's a trail. Oh, I got it. Really got to Really got Tom and Jerry. For Tom and Jerry. Oh, we got Is it like a live action Tom and Jerry? It's uh, so it's live action, but then the uh, Tom and Jerry themselves are animated. Oh, that's sick! Like, like space a space jam, jam type situation. I love yeah, that. Exactly. Okay, even though like, all right, that's fine. I'll take it. I'm pretty hype. Uh, Tom and Jerry. I've probably watched more Tom and Jerry than I've watched anything else in my entire life. I used to watch that nothing but that when I was younger. Um, but here's what I will say. I'm I'm really upset about uh, the hit that this is going to t- like. You know, it's gonna be a big blow to movie theaters. Um, we're bringing movie theaters back with the drive-in podcast. Um, you know, it's part of our movement. This is this is what we live for here, and uh, we will never stop fighting. Okay, when things start opening up, we're just gonna have to fight back even more viciously, and, and we're just gonna we're we're gonna have to cr- like really build this movement from the ground up. And we're going to bring movie theaters back once COVID is gone. You bet your bottom dollar. Wow, Herb Brooks over here. I mean, yeah, that's the motivational <laughs> great speaker we need. Great opportunities. Th- th- this, that's the motivational speech and like type of rhetoric we need in these, t- in these trying times because it is absolutely over. Because once HBO Max puts us into play and then it's going to be 2021. <laughs> It's gonna it, like literally the streaming subscribers for HBO Max are gonna go through the roof. I wouldn't be surprised if they be, if they become the number two streaming service behind Netflix by the end of 2021. That's mm-hmm. how like great of an idea this is. And once these subscribers go through the roof, guess what? Uh, you're gonna have Hulu doing this. You're gonna have Amazon Prime doing this. You're gonna have like all these streaming services are gonna adopt the plan. There's our, like I remember when we first had our first couple episodes. Uh, we had there was this news on the checkup where uh, Amazon was looking to purchase AMC movie theaters, and now we get an idea like why would he do? Why would Jeff Bezos think about doing that? Well, look what HBO Max is doing, right? They're, they're releasing movies concurrently with their streaming service. There could be a master plan for Amazon there, and then eventually I could see them in two or three years rivaling next Netflix as well. So, uh, and I think it's just it's just going to be insane to see because like 2022. Like all these people are going to adopt a strategy. And then I think I talked about this with Ricky Flex earlier. Movie theaters are going to become like antique shops. It's going to be like you go and it's going to be like, oh, like it's going to be like 10 years down the road. It's like, what is that thing? What is it? What, what is a movie theater when we have kids and we're saying like, oh, let's go to a movie. Like, no, why don't we just go into our living room? It's just, it's going to be obsolete. I think it's just absolutely devastating for theaters. Devastating. Definitely. And well, you know, Come on, man. That's totally going against what we're trying to do here. I mean, I know. I'm just trying to be a realist. It's true. It's true. We're fighting a losing fight. It's a losing battle. All right. What's next on the checkup here, doctor? What else we got here? Well, we have some Marvel news. Uh, Haley Steinfeld is confirmed to star alongside Jeremy Renner in Disney Plus series Hawkeye. Uh, It was long rumored that Steinfeld was going to appear as hero Kate Bishop, who takes up the mantle of Hawkeye. within the Avengers. So she was confirmed to appear through a bunch of set photos uh, as the series is currently filming in New York city. And we also got the news that Florence Pugh is going to be, is, is also confirmed to appear as Yelena Belova, which is a role that she is, uh, she's debuting in black widow, Scarlett Johansson, which was initially supposed to come out at the beginning of 2019, which is now confirmed to uh well at least it's expected to come out in spring of 2020 mm-hmm. one <laughs> I, I just messed up all the dates there damn it i'm gonna restart that Fuck. wait give it a, right. give it a solid pause hold on all right 
Uh, next part of the checkup, Haley Steinfeld is confirmed to star alongside Jeremy Renner in Disney Plus's series, Hawkeye. It was long rumored that Steinfeld was going to be a part of this series and playing Kate Bishop, the hero that eventually takes up the mantle of Hawkeye and joins the Young Avengers. Uh, so we, that was confirmed through multiple set photos that came from New York City. So Steinfeld going to appear as uh, Kate Bishop. And then we also have another uh, young actress who is going to be showing up in this series. You have Florence Pugh. She's confirmed to uh, reprise her role as y- y- Yelena Belova, who's rep- uh, who's debut who uh, the character is being debuted in Scarlett Johansson's Black Widow, which was initially supposed to release obviously in 2020, and it's now set to debut in 2021. Uh, any interest in this casting, boys? I love it. I love it. I think she's finally on the scene, like permanently. Like obviously, ten years ago, she was nominated for an actress. Uh, sorry, an Oscar from True Grit when she was only 14 years old. And I know I mainly, besides that, I mainly know her as a musician and I, cause I love her as a musician, but now she's kind of taking the Jared Leto approach, getting into more roles. And I think a lot of that was from her nomination for the golden globe uh, from her, the, from the movie. Uh, what's it called? The one where her friend dates her brother. With Woody Hair, is it seven? Uh, at just 17. seventeen. At just seventeen. Uh, yeah. At just, yeah, and Woody Harrelson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think that's like is ever since then she kind of just has taken on a lot more projects within acting. So she's kind of taken the Jared Leto approach, which I'm very excited for after seeing what Jared Leto has done with his career, and now what potentially she can do. And like she has experience in big budget blockbusters like Bumblebee. And also, I know she was only a voice for Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse, but still, she's going to help drive viewers to this as well from her following. I think this is a great, uh, great casting, and I can't wait to see her chemistry with Jeremy Renner. Boss Nez? Nez is on a union-scheduled pretzel break. (laughs) Well... I, I personally am excited about this. And I like I think reflects me a lot of good points. Both of these uh actresses are Oscar nominees at such a young age. So it just shows that Marvel's still pulling in the talent more than ever. And also Hawkeye, like not to be disrespectful to such a legend like Jeremy Renner, but <laughs> Hawkeye on. is lame. Hawkeye is Very lame. lame. I did my most anticipated I did my most anticipated Marvel projects in phase four, and there's ten. Right, I ranked this number nine at like in terms of like what I was most eager to see, most excited to see. I had this just below, right? Uh, what if, which is like the animated series that is like switching different uh, Marvel heroes, putting like Iron Man and Captain America's place and and Captain America and Iron Man's place, just trying to like it's like alternate universe type stuff. So, I think this this provides some excitement, and like Steinfeld is like obviously a pop star. And it's she also like she was nominated at 14 years old for an Oscar. So it's good that she's getting back in the acting game. And now that she's in a, uh, a Marvel project, like I, I assume that she's going to devote most of her time to this, to these two movies and especially to this franchise, because once you join a Marvel uh, movie, right, you're looked at to reprise your role in numerous different films. So I'm excited what she's bringing to the table and you can't go wrong with Florence Pugh. Like she's amazing. She's maybe the most sought after young actress in the game going. So if you have her, I'm absolutely in. Uh, although I haven't seen little woman. I have to check that out. Um, Hawkeye is lame. He's one of the original Avengers and he didn't even get his own movie. He just gets like this, like kind of series that they're kind of just throwing together. I don't know. 
Yeah, not too excited about it's it. Like, yeah. It's like Scarlett Johansson. It's like it's like they're all getting their own little send off before. Like if you're a phase one, if you're a phase one hero, like like obviously Black Widow's getting her last movie, even though she spoiler alert uh, passes, like she uh, dies in Endgame, and and so, and so now you have spoiler Jeremy alert. Renner getting like his due, his due right with his own series but honestly he's not even the draw to his own series it's just kind of funny and i'm not a big jeremy renner guy i love him in the town but like i think he's a little overrated and i don't know why i just like the vibe. he's kind of a cocky dude yeah i totally agree i feel like like hawkeye he's an original avenger in the movies right like in 2012 he's one of the original with hulk thor iron man captain america black widow and since they're making a black widow movie that's kind of like an ode to Scarlett Johansson saying, all right, you're owed a movie. I feel like you're like Jeremy Renner's owed something and they don't, they don't want to make a Hawkeye movie. They just want to kind of push it off to a TV series or it's similar to like with Loki. They're not going to make a Loki movie. They're just going to push it off into a TV series and Disney plus. So I think that this is just one of, one of those plays, not necessarily because of who Jeremy Renner is or, what the character of Hawkeye is because he's definitely in the bottom tier Avenger slash superhero. Yeah. Like, we are yeah, not like, a Jeremy Renner podcast officially. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> yeah, I guess not. Since you said that, but I do like him a lot. Like I like love the- him in the town. Love, love him. him in the town, but like, honestly, I don't really like him in anything else. Yeah. Tag. He's kind but, of, uh, I don't know. He just gives, gives the off the vibe. Like, Man, mm-hmm. this guy is just a cocky. He's full of himself. Is it, no, That's I think he's not. Bi- he, he's not personable. Like, no, I just, he doesn't a, look like it. A like, big reason for me no, why I, I, I agree. I, with you. I'm judging a book by its cover. No, no, no. I'm not. I think he is arrogant, and it's because of those freaking <laughs> commercials and his album. He thinks he's like a musician, like a full blown musician. Oh yeah, like a lot dude. better than he's other a singer. <laughs> like he is not that good. He thinks he's like above the world because he's an actor and a singer. He thinks he's Jared Leto. Like, you're not even close, buddy. Wait a sec. Wait a sec. Wasn't there a Jeremy Renner app? Yes. Yes. <laughs> I didn't get it, and I have no idea what it does. But there was an app. I think sure. it's off It was, app. like, basically just where he would – I think it was, like, a social media app that he made that was centered on himself. So what? I think we're justified. Arrogant person. We're thinking right now. He made, a, he made a Jeremy Renner social media app centered around himself? Yes, all right, I have it here. That's, to look this that's absurd. It was, it was the Jeremy Renner app. Launched in 2017, the Jeremy Renner app was meant to be placed to do fun things, according to its description in the Apple's app store. It featured an in-app feed of Instagram-like updates from Jeremy Renner, as well as a separate feed for uploaded content from users to foster a community around their fandom of him. What the who, heck is that? What a lunatic. Who does this guy think he what is? You are the number six out of six Avenger. And you have your own app? Does RDJ have an app? Does Chris Evans have an app? But Jeremy Renner has an app. Hawkeye. This is unbelievable. That's hilarious. That's oh my I, I knew I heard that from somewhere. I'm going to do that. I'm going to make well, an app for myself. <laughs> yeah. We should. We, you know, so you're gonna make you're gonna yeah, make no. an app. It's gonna be the Nes app. app. Yeah, the exactly. app is officially gone. By the way. Oh darn it! I was about to join. <laughs> what a goofball! <laughs> Absolute <laughs> clown. Going, going from one actor we don't necessarily enjoy to one we very much do. We have Oscar Isaac starring in a in a 
starring as Solid Snake, excuse me, in Sony's Metal Gear Solid movie based on the video game. This is currently in development at Sony Pictures with Jordan Vote Roberts on board to direct. Right, so the film is based on the very famous video game, and it was uh, the game's first launch on PlayStation back in '98, and follows Snake, a soldier who inf- infiltrates a nuclear weapons facility to neutralize the terrorist threat from Foxhound, a renegade special forces unit. The game has received uh, acclaim on many fronts, but its storytelling that has a cinematic feel always made it seem like a movie adaptation that was inevitable. Nez, we talked about this prior to recording, and you seem jacked. Yeah. Uh, Metal Gear Solid plus Oscar Isaac on the big screen. I'm I'll, buy, I'll pre-order my ticket right now. Metal Gear Solid okay. is a sick game. Uh, I remember I, I don't still play any of them, but um, I remember I used to have one for the PS2. They have uh, a cult following essentially, where you know they have fans that are just super fans of this game, uh, and the storytelling is next level for a video game. There's a lot of good video games uh, out there. There's not really any good video game movies. CC uh, Assassin's Creed. Um, I'm really excited about this. I think that this is a game that was created perfectly. So it should like four movies, like it should be a movie. Uh, and then Oscar Isaac that honestly, for me, whenever a really good actor, a lot of the time picks up a script and joined and like kind of takes a risk with something like this. Uh, it gives me confidence, more confidence in the movie. Somebody like Oscar Isaac taking this movie after kind of the role that he's on right now. Um, it gives me a lot of confidence in the script. It means that he likes it. He believes in the concept. Um, and this could be the first really good video game movie uh, or game, I guess, movie about a video game that's ever come out because Scott Pilgrim vs. the World is kind of a video game movie, even though uh, it's not based off a video game. And that's a great movie, right, Ricky Flicks? Yeah, it's a great movie. All right. It's okay. I haven't brought up Scott Pilgrim in a while, so I had to. Um, great movie. But I'm really excited for this Metal, Metal Gear Solid thing. I'm, I'm, I'm going to follow it closely. Uh, and, you know, hopefully, uh, it, you know, it comes out, comes out good. Nez, uh, oh, sorry, Flix, your thoughts. This is your boy. Okay. He's, there's a funny video he mentioned, I saw on social media today when this news came out that there's a, of him saying if there's like a video game character he wanted to play would be this one so i do agree with nez that's a great sign if someone that's passionate about the character and the project i think that's a good a good sign for any project any film that's coming to into production but isn't snake like a character in super smash bros like all i'm thinking of now is possibly other movies connected to super smash bros character and have a cinematic universe around super smash bros and then have a movie of the super smash bros I feel like that would be awesome. Nez, am I wrong? Um, absolutely. That would be amazing. That would be great Saturday morning television as well. I would love yeah. to see that as well. I feel but like that would be great. Super Dream- Smash Bros. movie. Mm-hmm. If they did it like the old Mortal Kombat movie where it's just like a tournament, that would be sick. Yeah. No, um, and yeah, definitely. And also like if they build it up like they did with the Avengers, have like solo movies for the main characters of the Super Smash Bros., like the most popular characters. Like Kirby, oh there's a Kirby God. movie or something. I don't know. Uh, uh, Link, I don't know if I would watch a Kirby movie. Yeah, Link maybe. Live action Kirby. Oh, my God. <laughs> or like a Link movie or a Wario I versus a I think that's a genius yeah. idea. Like the cinematic universe like, like of Super Smash Bros. Like having – yeah, like that, I think that would that would be a cool idea. Then they go one-on-one against each other. Like that could be awesome. I want credit. That would be nuts. Um, I'll write the script. Uh. So, wait, is I, I'm not a video game guy. 
and Nez knows this. Ricky Flex knows this. Solid Snakes, the guy with the headband. Yeah, and Super Smash Bros. Yeah, is it the headband? And it's like yeah, he, his off? classic move is that he goes down on a knee and shoots a missile when it can go like anywhere to like where he targeted. Like it can go, it doesn't have to go straight. And I, I think that. I think this was a popular fan cast on social media. And that's like how it kind of like he got, he, he was kind of like uh, introduced to the idea of playing the character. I know you're talking about, he had a lot of passion for it, but this, I, I feel like I saw this on social media a ton with people like yeah. boss logic, like coming up with mm. different ideas of like, like literally he, he's an artist online who uh, fan cast people in like comic book and video game type movies. So I think, that's just showing the power of like fan casting and the power of these artists online. And like, you're able to reach these studios and to reach these actors. And like, and they're like, hell, they're like, heck yeah, that'll be awesome. The thing just happened with the Sokotano. Yeah. And like, it's proven that like you just said, it works. And now if like what you say is true with this fan cast, with uh, the fan casting with Oscar Isaac and snake, then further evidence it's working and it's just going to continue to happen. And I don't think anyone on social media or p- the people that do that on social media are going to stop anytime soon, even if requested to like by who like, this is going to keep happening. And it's honestly like good for the fans, good for the viewers. And honestly, maybe the driving could have a potential influence on a potential casting in the future. Mm-hmm. I, I want them to cast me as Kirby in the live action, super smash Bros. and me as link. Lame. Everybody knows know, Kirby's okay. Nez, you know, wear a su- so Nez, would you wear a suit? What? No, I just dye myself pink. No, I I have to be <laughs> like Clifford. Clifford. <laughs> exactly. They just, you just spray paint me. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be Mister Game and Watch. All right. Uh, that <laughs> that is pretty awesome. Though, that, like like literally, people on social media can like like influence a movie. I think that's awesome. So that does it for this week's checkup. I'm now going to throw it back to Nez for our review of David Fincher's uh, make. Dr. O, thank you for checking us up once again. Uh, we're now moving on to our review of the Netflix original movie that has just released, um, put it in the early Oscar contenders, uh, Mank. Um, now, Let's just open up the floor here, and I just want to talk about this. Uh, do you think this film puts Gary Oldman as a front runner in the Best Actor race this year? That's a tough question for me to answer, there, Nez. I think, I think he gets as of right now a nomination. I don't think he wins it, and it's a combination of him recently just winning it, so the Academy trying to broaden their Best Actor winners, as you have. Delroy Lindo, member to Five Bloods earlier this year, our second ever pod. That's he's going to be up <laughs> for it. You're going to have Chadwick Boseman coming up with Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, and he. The noise around that is that he was fantastic. Same with Viola Davis. You also have Anthony Hopkins in The Father, which he's also getting quite high praise for. So it's going to be a steep competition for him, especially coming off a victory just only two years ago. So it's going to be hard for him to come back and win an Oscar back-to-back tries or back-to-back movies. I don't know. Uh, Dr. O, do you agree? It's tough. I, I love Gary Oldman in this. I'm a huge Gary Oldman fan, but Delroy Lindo in uh, the five bloods played such a complex character with many layers. Uh, so it's like, it's going to be tough to beat that. And he had a lot of Oscar, like quote unquote moments, especially with his mm. like monologue when he's talking into the camera, like very Shakespearean type of, scenes within that movie but also people are talking like 
Chadwick Boseman has this in the bag. And it's not just because it's going to be a posthumous uh, Oscar for him, potentially. But there, I, I, that's, obviously, it's another review for the pods coming out on Netflix, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. But I loved Oldman in the role because this is like – he played an awesome – it was basically a character where he is – uh, it kind of resembles today where it's like Hollywood is obsessed with politics and it kind of consumes them. And like the way that it consumed Oldman in this movie where he it literally drove him insane and led him to write one of the most uh, critically acclaimed, many consider the best movie ever made. So it was kind of interesting to like dive into his psyche. And he was like, and he's also an all time drunk. Like him, like him as Winston Churchill, all time <laughs> drunk. Like he just, that's just like his strong suit and he nails it every time. Yeah, I, I know you said Hollywood loves politics. I think even more also Hollywood loves Hollywood. And when you look up at Once Upon a Time, which came out recently, uh, last year, I believe, um, mm-hmm. all the award shows ate that up. It got so many nominations, so many wins. And when you do uh, not only a period piece, but a stylistic period piece like this, uh, I think that award shows are going to eat it up, whether it's for cinematography, best director, anything like that. Um, obviously, Gary Oldman put on a great performance in this uh, in Mank, but uh, I think even more so the picture as a whole is going to be rewarded when it comes to uh, award season. So I guess, you know, for the next question, I would say, uh, you know, what do you guys make of the cinematography of this film, uh, how Fincher approaches it? Um, and, you know, how would you compare it to his, you know, his past films and his previous efforts? Well, regarding the cinematography, I think the black and white imagery really reflects the time period. And it mirrors Citizen Kane, which this film kind of is centered around or right before. And when Citizen Kane, obviously 1941, it's a black and white movie. And just the cinematography that in that movie really changed uh, Hollywood and changed the landscape of cinematography for the future in the movie industry with its movie, uh, with its techniques. An example is deep focus with uh, keeping the object in the foreground uh, still in the focus, but also the distance in the background, uh, also in focus, not necessarily blurred out. And that kind of changed Hollywood. And this, you could see in this movie that it followed a lot of the same techniques as Citizen Kane. And that's kind of David Fincher paying homage to that great film. And it's a film that his dad, who wrote the script, really adored. And I guess going to your second question is, how does this relate to other David Fincher films? Well, it is completely different. <laughs> you have Seven, you have Gone Girl, uh, just psychological thrillers. And then you just have this Zodiac. really Zodiac, uh, and you can keep going down the list, Fight Club. You also, psychological thrillers, a lot of action. This is just all dialogue. Uh, just literally the only action is them walking around while talking. It's just all dialogue so completely different so it's really it's it's actually really impressive that fincher can expand his range and really do something that uh do something around uh this this type of script with all dialogue and i i want to say quickly like going back to the cinematography you could tell fincher had like a fun time making this movie like setting it up in that period like that, this period of hollywood that really yes. hasn't been ex- ha- hasn't been explored much and uh flitch brought it up in an earlier episode when he was talking about like his passion for this era when he's, he's going to help produce a show on the making of chinatown right with the obviously the famous movie with jack nicholson but like you could see like with the black and white first of all it was great with my computer issues that have been going on i could put the brightness all the way down low and it wouldn't matter like <laughs> which was it's pretty satisfactory for me, but then you also have like the splotches. 
and yeah, then you had like the splotches coming on the screen as if like I don't even know. It's like it was an old time movie. Yeah, like you're so watching that, back in time. You know what yeah, I'm talking about so, flicks? Yes, Doctor O. That is uh, also homage to like 1940s, 1930s movies where they yeah when you had like a Imperfect. movie when you like project like you had a like a uh sorry rambling a little bit when you're at a movie theater back in like 1940. Okay, they had their projector, but that they were at the end of a film reel they would have to switch projectors and they had to do it really quickly. So right at the end of a scene, right at the, right at the start of the next scene, simultaneously switch the projector and that there will be like a right uh, top right circle that would show mm-hmm. that. And it's funny that this came up because in fight club, there's a scene with Brad Pitt uh, editing a film reel and Ed Norton explaining it. And Brad Pitt's like smoking while doing it. He's like, it's called a cigarette, cigarette burn in the industry. I don't know if you guys remember that. But that's in Fight Club. So it's kind of that's funny awesome. how the two movies connect. Two Pinter movies connecting. So, again, that's just exactly what you were saying with the paying the homage to the 1940, cinemat- uh, 1940 movies and that cinematography. It's pretty funny. Right. And then, but I also, so we're, we went into the cinematography and now we're going like into like the time period and then going along with that, like the little tidbits, like going on, like how fun this movie must've been to film. It's like when you had how movies were shot back in the 1930s, early 1940s, where he go, where he wakes up with a massive hangover and he meets Amanda Seyfried's character for the first time. And they're uh, on the train, like have those train tracks following like the horses it's like the cowboys and indians type of scene that they're shooting right so i thought that that looked awesome the uh and also setting the like they also had like obviously the rivaling studios which is cool to see like that because they were it was like the early days and early years of these studios starting to rival each other like mgm and universal all these different places uh so it was kind of interesting to see and like warner brothers obviously uh, speak of the devils so um it was fascinating to see like them like talking crap about each other and how mm-hmm. they really didn't like each other. And then like seeing how they, the politics intertwine. And I'm a, obviously I'm a history major. So I was, I was, I was eating all that up. So I but, just really enjoyed that aspect. Yeah. And, and your first point as in this must've been fun to film. Well, the Fincher style is he makes you do like tens of twenties of, of a single, of a single scene, like a lot of takes and he's kind of annoying to work with because he makes he wants perfection. Mm-hmm. There is like a famous, um, a famous uh, I forget which movie, but one I think the Social Network. There, uh, there's like a scene with like a minor character. He's like a extra, and he had like a his handkerchief was out just like an inch further than it should have been. And Fincher, and it was a perfect. Everyone did their lines perfectly, but Fincher had redid redid the entire scene just because that one inch was off. So he's, he's actually like known to be very hard to work with. But in this movie, like there's been a lot of uh, comments from Seif, uh, Amanda Seyfried and Ullman and I think uh, uh, Tom Pelfrey that like they just adored working with Fincher because they haven't worked with him before and they just respected what he was doing. So it's, it's interesting to see all these up and coming actors uh, and actresses appreciating it, not necessarily saying that it was an annoyance to them. You speak of Amanda Seyfried. Uh, she was great in this movie. How do you guys think she's going to compete come award season? Um, it's it's crazy that she's like starring in a lead uh, actress role for a Fincher movie because all I can think of is her and Mean Girls like telling the weather with her boobs. 
So uh, it's just fascinating that like she's like she gets the lead kind of out of nowhere. What's like the last thing you remember her doing? It's like the Mamma Mia movies, like in this Mamma Mia sequel. So it was crazy to kind of see her. Like she still plays like a ditzy type of person, uh, but at the same time, like she has an integral part of the movie, and she's mm-hmm. in well, most many of the important scenes that kind of explain the background with mm-hmm. William Randolph Hearst, right? The newspaper, uh, uh, the newspaper. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, owner Mongol. right at the time in LA like the guy who basically ran media um, and like being like uh, his mistress and everything like that and her relationship with Mank and their friendship Controlled public and, uh, perception. I thought she did an excellent job was that yeah William Randolph Hearst controlled public perception in California for a long time during that period right yeah, yeah. so it was like mm-hmm. it, was, it was great to like get it from her Right. And get that information coming from some like a ditzy type of person. And she played that to a T. And I, I, I and I thought she also played like she played into that 1930s lead actress. Like she acted almost per, like how I would imagine an actress like th- like back in the day to kind of behave. And like that's why I think she was excellent in the role. I don't know about like any like lead, like Oscar potential there because i don't think that she had enough screen time personally but uh i I thought she was excellent in the role so i i think that she does have a chance for an oscar at least as of right now i know that oscars so the oscars are going to end like the um like the candidates or like uh, movies that come out until april are allowed to be known for the 2020 oscars so there's a lot of movies coming out in the next few months that are going to be Oscar contenders. So like, even though you're going to get a lot of Oscar season type movies coming out right now, such as this one, Oscar contenders, you're also going to have some in February and March. And I think she's a supporting actress in this movie. I don't think she's a lead actress. I, and me personally. Yeah. But hmm. I was just, I was just trying to think if there's a male lead, it's usually a female lead. She'd be the but female did, lead. Would no? you say she's, so I don't think there's a female lead really, because I think it's a split between her and Lily Collins. I, I, I guess that would movie. make her supporting based on her screen time too. I agree. Like, I guess I don't, that, and I think that gives her a chance. I think that gives her a chance because okay. I think it's. I, I agree think, then. Like, there's a lot of good candidates for supporting actress, but in lead actress, like you have Vanessa Kirby coming out with the Shia LaBeouf movie where she plays that pregnant woman, mm-hmm. and Viola Davis, and also Frances McDormand. So I guess it's deeper than I than I originally thought. So I kind of backtracked, but. I'm backtracking a little bit, but I still think she has a good chance for a supporting actress. I, I just do. And right. I, I think she was just, just like going up said, against some big names there. Yeah. Sorry. That was for best actress. I, I mixed them up, but uh, so I think she, if she's uh, labeled as supporting, I think she has a great chance because she doesn't have to go off with, against that stiff competition. And, but she like played that ditzy role. Do you guys agree? Like she's like, it just seemed like a perfect role for her to get into like these critically acclaimed movies, working with directors like David Fincher. It seemed like it was right up her alley and it's going to lead to bigger things. Probably. She's still super young. Yeah. She's, yeah. But that's got to stink. No matter what the movie is, you're getting typecast as like this ditzy girl, but uh, <laughs> hey, I mean, good for her. She's got, she's, she's has a prominent role in a David Fincher movie. One that is uh, going to be making a lot of noise and already has a lot of buzz right now. Uh, only having been out a couple days. Uh, don't you think it's weird how, I mean, I guess it's Corona, but also now, you know, the way that it is now with uh, the Oscars and all these movie awards where we're not comparing them based off of how much money they're raking in on the box office. It's just like the buzz that they're getting on Twitter because it's on, you know, they're on streaming services. So there's no, 
I mean, I guess they're streaming numbers. I've seen some insane streaming numbers when it comes to uh, the Queen's Gambit. But uh, yeah, I just think that's an interesting observation. Yeah, you don't have the yeah, normal I box mean, office metric to go off of. That kind of makes things more difficult. Right. And it's known that Netflix and all the other streaming companies, but mainly Netflix is really known for really silent, like quietly hiding their streaming numbers and only promoting them at the, pro- at the right times. And it's inter- and like for mm-hmm. you see that a lot in TV series that they, the original TV series from Netflix that they bring up, they don't show those streaming numbers when they cancel after one season or two seasons. So they're really known for that. It's going to be interesting to see if they do, if they are more open with their streaming numbers this for this past year, because everyone's at home, they're streaming more, but it's going to be interesting to see the comparison between the movies on all the streaming platforms. How many, how many times are streamed? I agree. I agree. So that being said, I mean, any more thoughts on the movies before we get on the movie, before we give scores? I got to bring up uh, LB Mayer and my favorite scene from the movie. So LB Mayer uh, flicks, who plays him? Is it Arliss Cross? Who is that the name? Yes, I believe so. Uh, LB Mayer, the guy, the, okay. So he, the scene, my, my favorite, my personal favorite scene in the movie was when uh, you have Mank go with his brother over to see LB Hurst trying to get uh, Mank's brother a job. And that's where it really showed like the industry at the time. You got LB, LB Mayer, like, kicking somebody down telling him he'll never work in this town again and saying they make it fun of his mother and then you have the, the shot of lb Mayer like storming at the camera and that camera shot i thought was electric because he is just basically what he's just like the shortest guy like he's got to be like five five at, at most and he is like has mank behind him he's got his brother behind him he's storming around he's saying this is how hollywood works i like the only there's no stars in hollywood the only star in hollywood is uh it is the lion, Leo, the lion for MGM and things like that. He was just kind of explaining how the, uh, how the industry worked and what was most important. And then after he does that, he goes to the crowd, not the crowd, but the employees he has at MGM. Mm-hmm. And it's obviously at the end of the great depression or it's actually, no, this, at this point it's during the great depression. And he's telling people like, take a pay cut, all this, right. We're going to need you to do this. But mm-hmm. it turns out they didn't really have to pay, take a pay cut. And he like fake cries and he's coming back. And he's like, that's show business, baby. It was just <laughs> uh, an electric scene. Definitely my favorite. And he was low key, my favorite character. Yeah. And it's interesting how like that actor, that actor was really emotional or played an emotional part every time politics came up. And I think that's actually like, that was very well done. I think that that, didn't, that actually enhanced the movie because I didn't, I didn't know this, but he actually became the chairman of the state committee of the Republican party the following year after the election of 1936, when Upton Sinclair lost, he actually became the chairman of the Republican party for California, which I think would have been a very essential to include in the app, like in the post credit scenes when they were doing all those credits. I think that would have been great to show. Um, but mm-hmm. like you said, I think he played the part perfectly and yeah, like the classic walk and talk scene in any, like in any movie with a lot of dialogue. It was great. It's fantastic. Another cameo I just wanted to mention, uh, Upton Sinclair. Do you guys know who played him? I do. Nez. But this Nez. Did you no, catch that? Man, I'm terrible at that. Nez, you're going to love this. Bill Nye. What? Bill Nye. The was science Sinclair. guy. How did I, I miss a, how did I miss a Bill Nye cameo? It was, oh my God. I didn't see it the first time either. So I like, sometimes I write notes down during the movies. I try not to, 
but it was like doctor and I watched it the night of very early morning, obviously, since it dropped a little after midnight, but right when I started hearing the Upton Sinclair voice, I'm like, Hmm, that sounds interesting. And then finally they showed the skinny guy, skinny white guy on the screen. I'm like, Hmm. And then the, the quick turn of the face and you could see him. I was like, they'll die. Holy crap. Science guy. It was- oh my God. That's awesome. Yeah, like I seen that that guy. That guy was on my smart my smart board talking to me in the seventh grade. You know. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! But going up. So one thing I also wanted to bring up. Flix mentioned earlier he watched this three times. I watched it twice. So the first time I watched it, this obviously we talked about how this movie. It's a lot of it's based on conversation. There's not a lot of actual action in this movie, and it's driven by the conversations had by Mank and who he's talking with. And uh, the first time I. I watched it. It was, they talk very fast. They go from scene to scene. So if you miss something, I think we were talking about with this with Nez off air, but like, if you miss something, all of a sudden you pulled out of important, you could miss some important information from the movie. Mm-hmm. And there's a certain scene. And then I watched it the second time with subtitles and I enjoyed it thoroughly, much mm. more thoroughly. Um, Same here. The scene where uh, Amanda Seyfried's character Right, is talking with Mank, walking through the palace, quote unquote, from uh, uh, William Hurst, like that huge uh, estate he has. And that goes over the history between Sinclair and Hurst that kind of sets up what Citizen Kane ends up being written about. And it's why that, uh, it's why, well, William Hurst doesn't want this book to potentially, uh, this movie to be uh, published. It's why uh, Man of Seyfried's character doesn't want this movie to be made or released, okay? So it's just, it was interesting that the second time I watched it, I was like, okay, I actually enjoy this movie now. And it was literally just based on subtitles. So I guess, what does that tell you, right? Yeah, I totally agree. I like I said before that the writing was phenomenal and the dialogue and the witty exchanges between Gary Ullman and whoever it was, Louis Mayer or Charles Dance or Amanda Seyfried. I think it was terrific. But the first time you watch it, especially the first 30 minutes, you really had to be plugged in from the start. And the first 30 minutes kind of – it was very hard to follow, especially with all the flashbacks. The flashbacks, a little of the Citizen Kane as well, that revolutionary movement, because that was the first movie of of its kind to really utilize flashbacks in that way, a nonlinear movement in in the movies – but in this movie, in the first 30 minutes, it was just kind of, it was, it was way, too, way too many flashbacks, way too many back and forth between the two scenes, especially when the flashbacks were, such, were a lot more compelling and easy to watch. You were much more interested in that than him just sitting on a bed. And even though his chemistry with Lily mm-hmm. Collins and him, I thought was fantastic, better than Amanda Seyfried and him, I think, in some, in some uh, instances, I think that was much easier to watch the flashback scenes. It, it was a little messy. I 100% agree. Yeah. And that was one of my criticisms of the movie. Like, it jumps around almost too much. But I do like the aspect. There was a very big difference. And he did a great – and Fincher himself did a great job setting up 1930, 1934, 1940. What's going on in the world at that time? And as I said before, I'm a history guy. So, like, those, those important details I found uh, – it was just great filmmaking. And it was, like, great attention to detail. Yeah, and even some of the flashback scenes in the, in the beginning, like uh, the first one where you in, in 1930 when you're introduced to Gary Ullman uh, 10 years prior with his team at uh, MGM and them playing the flip of the coin, gambling on it, and talking about his gambling antics and then the pitch. It was kind of – Worst gambler a, of all time. Yeah, terrible gambler. And I understand That's me. that you have to set it up, but then throughout the movie they kept <laughs> – they didn't really – 
like didn't really continue to set it up as his gambling as his main issue uh, as like a priority issue throughout as much as I thought they would as like I kept saying he's an addictive gambler and he's terrible at it but they didn't have enough scenes to show that they had enough alcoholic scenes and he had and at the end of the movie you find out that he actually died from alcoholism but I felt like the gambling scenes kind of like when what I'm trying to say is it didn't pay off at the end when it was the election night. And then he said, I'll double, I'll wager my $24,000. Like I just was in awe. Oh, really? I didn't like that. I disagree. You didn't, you didn't like that. Like it just shows like, like he knows he's a bad gambler, but he's a man who like likes to entertain people. And he like, whether he's writing or he's speaking, that was a big part of the movie too. So I think that I actually like that aspect. Like he knew he was going to lose, but it also showed how consumed he was by politics and how set he was on his beliefs. So I, I, I liked the move. I thought it was good. I thought that was a good aspect of writing. Yeah. All right, guys, let's go around the table that. here. <laughs> let's go around the table here. Uh, scores dr o so uh my only criticism was it's really jumpy the guys as uh ricky flex was saying uh i love the acting from oldman here and i love fincher even though it's kind of like off the beaten path what he usually does i'm gonna go with 89 89 flex so I went with the 89 too. Um, I haven't written down as I always do at the top of the screen. You could see it as in those two, but for me, this is a movie, not for everybody. It's, it's style with the black and white, the cinematography and also about filmmaking and about Hollywood. Not every, that's not everybody's cup of tea, especially people that are just a casual moviegoer or the casual, let me find something on Netflix to watch. They are probably going to mm-hmm. like this movie and you're probably not going to like all the witty dialogue. That's nonstop and not enough action. And this actually reminded me of a lot of quick uh, witty, quick thinking characters in the David Fincher era, such as in the social network. Like I just constantly was reminded of the social network in this movie and obviously in the social network. Yeah. But like, yeah, yeah. Cause you have these smart witty characters who are also kind of, uh, not what's the word like arrogant, arrogant. They're very arrogant about themselves and full of themselves. So I was constantly reminded of the social network and that writing that one was by Sorkin. But for me, I think the dialogue, even though it was sometimes hard to follow, especially the first 30 minutes, it definitely paid off. And when you were settled in, you were really settled in and it was really enjoyable to watch. And I did really enjoy the filming, filming techniques in the odes to Hollywood in the 1940s and citizen Kane 89 for me, Ricky flicks. All right, all right. I got you guys. I got you. I respect your your opinions here. I'm going with 75 here. As much as I appreciate good style, uh, a good style of directing and, and great dialogue, um, it's really so much the period and the subject didn't really captivate me. It was a little hard for mm-hmm. me to follow. Um, you know, I do appreciate good dialogue. Again, I do. I just want to say that. But it's just like the subject. It just wasn't quite there for me. And and this is hey, this is Nez's Nez's score. So if you disagree, then that's okay because you're not Nez. Um, but you know, it was just a little bit hard to follow. It wasn't really my cup of tea. Uh, but I will not negate the fact and not say that it's not a good movie. Seventy five is my final score for Mank. Another thing I wanted to mention. One more thing. Oh, go wait, for wait, it. Wait, 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 what, so are we going to talk about this is like the birth of fake news, this movie? <laughs> this is the birth of fake news. That was a, I love that plot. That's, that's not true. Like, that's not true. Have you ever heard of the Boston Massacre? 
That was the birth. <laughs> okay, true, oh, true. I, 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 maybe I'm mistaken. I'm, I, I misspoke with fake news, but attack campaigns, like, like, mm. like direct uh, attack campaigns, and like slandering other uh, political figures. So I just yeah, wanted, yeah. I had to make Dr. sure you brought oh. that up. There's a lot of, there's a lot of like modern day like political connections this movie makes that I think right. kind of glossed over. All right, won't won't negate that, but I will negate. I will just say you called yourself a history major. And you forgot about the Boston Massacre. <laughs> I didn't forget. I just misspoke. Right, no. right. But uh, my last point on this movie is that I think the really the one thing that resonated me with, with me after this movie is that like Citizen Kane. Uh, after so basically after this movie, really, which didn't after this movie, it was really hard for that movie to come into fruition, actually be made because of William Randolph Hearst, Louis B. Maher, and all those all those prominent figures in Hollywood, not at RBK uh, studio to saying to not make this movie. They put out slanderous ads and si- similar to what we were just talking about with fake news. They were doing that to the, to Orson Welles, who was the young prodigy, only 24 years old, directing and starring and writing, uh, allegedly writing <laughs> in, for, of this movie. And William Randolph Hearst, Hearst used all his energy against this movie. So it's just interesting how, that uh that this uh this movie came out on netflix and venture faced his challenges in the 90s uh trying to get this made because it was black and white and instead of coming out box office he he came out with netflix a netflix original movie so it's just interesting to see that comparison between that and citizen kane right right do you guys think nez has seen citizen kane no Absolutely not. Yeah, I have not. I have not. I have to though. Wait, Apparently, wait. What are you gonna watch first? Movie. Goodfellas or Citizen Kane? Um, probably Goodfellas. I'll watch yeah. Goodfellas. This movie made me want to see Citizen Kane though. Yeah, yeah. I hear. I hear it's amazing. The best thing since Citizen Kane. Anyways, that concludes our review of of netflix's mank go watch it it's on netflix uh it's a great movie if you like great scripts great dialogue uh and kind of a change up a twist on you know um something different from what movies are coming out today uh, i would definitely go check it out um but stay tuned i'm gonna kick it over to ricky flicks for our new segment thanks nez now we have a new segment alert this is the debut of Ricky Flix's streaming picks. I'm going to say a list of movies coming to a streaming service this month, and each of us will pick a movie that we're excited to talk about, we're excited about, excited to watch, and you'd recommend to watch. We're going to go through three streaming services, Netflix, Amazon Prime, Hulu, sorry, Disney Plus, and the rest. We'll get to you another time. And I'm going to say what's coming on that streaming service and then what's leaving at the end of the month. And we'll break it down by each streaming service. So we'll start with Netflix. And then you're going to say one or two you're excited about. So Dr. Rowe and Nez, I'm going to say a list of Netflix movies that are coming to streaming. Pick a couple or two. So here we go. 51st Dates, Chef, E.T., The First Three Jurassic Parks, Little Nicky, The Da Vinci Code. Okay. Um, I think that's a good, a good place to stop. What's, what's a movie that you guys are excited about? Jurassic Park, obviously. Are you kidding me? No, so, <laughs> so, <laughs> so Jurassic Park, yes, like that's oh, iconic movies. But in my mind, one of the most 
well-made movies. One of the most, I don't know, just, I think it's almost, it's nearly a perfect movie is E.T. I, I saw it for the first time over the summer when I was doing the quarantine trials and I wrote a review on it, check a blog, but it is, as I said, nearly a perfect movie. It hits you right in the feels. I can watch that on repeat. If you haven't seen E.T., you must see E.T. I'm out in the Sandler movies. We're not doing too much for Netflix. Sandler's already has enough Netflix uh, material material out there. Yeah, yeah. And we just, we, I know we reviewed a few episodes back about Hubie Halloween. And he's coming out with those all the time. I think those are kind of like wearing a tearing on us a little bit. But it would be nice to get a little like San, uh, original Sandler back in us so, and revisit some of his old work, like 50 First Dates. I think that would be good. And Little Nicky's kind of forgotten about. Oh, I used to watch Little Nicky at family parties all the time. I don't know why. Really? For some reason. Yeah, well, it always used to be on like TV or something. So like I would just be in a Shout room out Tarantino. And Little Nicky yeah, would just be on for some reason. Unbelievable. But yeah, I would say Jurassic Park. I, I mean, those are just popcorn entertaining movies. Like they're fun. They're timeless classics. I love classic practical uh, special effects. Um, so those movies really, I really, I thoroughly enjoy them. Also. Great on the big screen. If you've been to Universal Studios, the Jurassic Park world <laughs> over there is sick. So cool. So much fun. I, I literally, they had me convinced that I met a Triceratops when I was like six years old. I was like, it had like this, like this robot Triceratops and it looked real. It was shiny and it moved around a little bit. And then they had this like park worker that looked like they worked at Jurassic Park. And they were like, yep, this is our Triceratops. She's chilling. And like animatronic <laughs> neck would like move. Mm-hmm. And I was like, holy <laughs> shit. I was obsessed with dinosaurs at the time too. Cause I was just learning about them. I'm obsessed with them and obsessed with the movie. And I was like, the Triceratops for the record is my favorite dinosaur too. So I was hyped. Mm. What's your guys' favorite dinosaur? I mean, I, I don't want to be, I don't want to be chalk and say T-Rex. Pterodactyl is always pretty sick. Oh, Rap- Pterodactyl. I like Raptors. They're pretty cool. They're really fast cool and Raptors powerful. Raptors freaking and cool. Yeah. They're yeah. evil though. Raw power in their acceleration. And they always choke in the playoffs. They just won Ooh, the title. Oh, I mean, they won the ship though. <laughs> I know. Um. All right. So. Wait, wait, wait. Flex. Uh, uh, did you hear that stat that came out about Sandler on, on Netflix? No. There was, I think it was like people spent, I think it was one of Netflix's crazy stats that no one believes, like when they talk about streaming. Of course. So there is a stat, I think it's either two billion, people have spent two billion hours watching Adam Sandler movies combined on Netflix. It's either hours or minutes, I'm not sure. That's, that's a huge difference. Holy crap. I don't, Yeah, but I, I'm just saying, uh, I'm going to see, see what you can find right now. My computer's all going haywire. It's like, and Netflix always makes up all these stats on streaming. Like Queen's Gambit was like the most watched, like uh, sh- miniseries in a it week. Two billion like, hours, it's insane. It's two billion hours, like total. The fast company it's worldwide, right? It. Uh, yeah. I told you it was a real stat. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm in complete shock. Another one that I didn't mention. Sorry, I'm I'm now looking at my list, seeing if I forgot any. Nocturnal Animals. That's coming to Netflix. That. Is go- that is an unreal movie made in 2016. Jake Hall, Amy Adams, Army Hammer, not in it a lot, but Aaron Tyler Johnson, unreal in that movie. Highly recommend. Just watch it for him. But nonetheless, it has Jake Hall, one of the best actors alive right now. Definitely one to watch. And, and the crazy story. Crazy story. Get through the Michael first Shannon. five. Michael Shannon. Get through the first five minutes. It's kind of weird. But then afterwards, you go on a ride. Absolute ride. 
It's a heater. All right. And then I'll just say a couple even Netflix this month. Or it was actually a bunch. <laughs> um, Troy, Airplane, The Grinch Movies, Little Giants, Spider-Man Into the Universe, Being John Malkovich, Cape Fear, Fargo, The Indiana Jones Series, Nacho Libre, Starsky and Hutch, The Town, Jeremy Renner, our favorite guy on this podcast, and Internal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. What are some that stick out to you that you got to go, all right, I got to watch this before it leaves Netflix? Sorry, you, Dr. O. So there's such an amazing list of movies that are leaving. Um, one of my go-to movies that's not a uh, that's not like a huge action movie, but I still find it so rewatchable is The Town. And I, I can watch The Town any like at any moment. It's just one of those movies that just is so engaging and it's so entertaining. And then I, we just talk so much trash about Jeremy Renner, but he is fantastic Terrible in that app. movie. And so is Apple. And so, uh, and John Hamm's obviously a beast in it too. So I, I think that's my, like, I'll be, I got to watch it like 10 more times before it leaves this month. Now, is any of those movies I listed kind of stick out to you? Yeah. I'm going to go with into the spider verse. That's, uh, that's a movie that I've seen, um, probably like 10 times. Like it's, it's so rewatchable. It's so entertaining. It's so fun. It has a soundtrack that absolutely slaps. I think I was listening to it today. I was listening to What's Up, Danger. That song's a banger. Danger. Uh, I love that movie. Danger. I'm really going to miss it, and I got to watch it before it leaves streaming. I'm going to watch it again. Make that 11. Yeah, such a it, Oscar wait, wait. winner. Like, how can it be leaving Netflix, the most prominent streaming service? Like, what's going on there? Like, only a year on it, not even a year spent on Netflix, and it's already leaving. I don't know if you guys know anything that I don't, but. They're probably trying to get somebody to bid on it. Like they they want somebody to throw them a bunch of money. Yeah, Sony. So they can get yeah. on a different. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. HBO Max or something like that. Watch. Yeah, that'll be a, that'll be on another one in no time. But also, Little Giants. Make sure I got I got to make sure I get that. I see that one before it leaves too. I saw. I, I I wanted to slip that in before we move on. Yeah, like the movies on this are, are like leaving Netflix that I listed are insane. Like Internal Sunshine of Spotless Mind. That's one of the more like Jim Carrey like in a serious role. Like that's like arguably should have won best picture that year. Unbelievable movie and unreal performance by him. I'm going to have to say that one as well, but all right, we'll switch over to HBO max. And I'm going to say some movies that are coming to HBO max. All right. Contraband, the final destination series, gladiator. Are you not entertained? Dr. Rowe, hot fuzz, Shaun of the dead, the last samurai project X, which was reviewed on this podcast. Shawshank redemption, True Grit, which we talked about earlier, the newest one, 2010. Billy Steinfeld, shout out. Snakes on a Plane, and that is your favorite movie. And Risky Business. <laughs> There's some movies coming out HBO Max. What stick out to you? They're doing a Final Destination series, you said? Well, like those, all the Final Destination movies are going to HBO Max. Oh, I thought they were doing like a like an actual them? like TV series. Get Stifler back into the mix. And just like oh, every ep- every week, somebody would die in a different way. That would be absurd. Um, Shaun of the Dead, Shaun of the Dead, and Hot Fuzz. Oh yeah, Those you're right. Fire no, comedy. You're right. I love Edgar Wright. Edgar Wright's actually my favorite. Mm-hmm. I actually didn't hear that. Nez is a little bit I, out of it today. I think I like Hot Fuzz more than Shaun of the Dead. I'm more excited for that. And that that one is just great. Like the the dynamic duo between Nick Frost and Simon Pegg. Mm. Simon Pegg plays the straight man so well in that movie he's still funny he's like unintentionally funny and yeah. then obviously <laughs> nick frost 
you telling me you never seen Bad Boys Two? <laughs> I, I love uh, so Point Point Break is one of my favorite action movies of all time. Shout out Keanu Reeves, Gary Busey. The references to that after they watch it together is awesome with the guns pointing up in the air. Like I love that and and Hot Fuzz. I love that they go movie. To the supermarket. Yeah, they go to the supermarket. Like it's just such a twist of events that you don't see coming, and it's and it actually fits. Unreal movie. Highly recommend watching that. Yeah, I, I might watch it tonight. <laughs> yeah, it's on now. But sadly, some movies will be leaving HBO Max. L- Lego Movie Two, Austin Powers trilogy, La La Land, uh, Boogie Nights. Any of those stick out to you guys? Austin Powers. Austin Powers is a Biggles great word. movie to have on streaming. It's great. It's so it's hilarious. Like if you're like, I don't know, if you come home and like let's say you're like a little tipsy or something, or like you just want to throw on something funny and just that you could just sit there and just crack up at for like 15 minutes before you fall asleep. It's Austin Powers. I love that movie. I've been watching it since I was like very young. I love those movies. So that's kind of sad. I couldn't agree more. And uh, Flix and I have been uh, watching the old James Bond movies. And a lot of, like the early James Bond movies is what like Austin Powers makes fun of, makes a mockery of. So it, it would be kind of interesting if we dive back into those before uh, the month ends. Yeah, and I know one that sticks out to me is Boogie Nights. I like I love that movie, but then again, like it's kind of hard to watch that. It's not really rewatchable in my eyes. I think that would be a good un- uh, unrewatchable. But uh, there's a lot of like crazy scenes in that movie, and like the one that really sticks out to me is the William H Macy scene that his, his last scene. Uh, spoiler alert! But uh, I love that movie, but hard to rewatch. But definitely gotta watch it once. So I recommend seeing that before it leaves HBO Max. And finally, Diggler. <laughs> all-time all-time movie name and then quickly wrap up hulu what's coming there 30 days of night uh any given sunday con air charlotte's web the da vinci code the hurt locker the lord of the rings one through three the hulk and then movies leaving uh leaving hulu a view to kill barbershop uh the little giants but we mentioned that earlier not another team movie Raging Bull, Sweeney Todd. What do you guys think? I know I should be commenting on Raging Bull, but not another teen movie is another classic. That's another one that's like, whoa. I remember watching that when I was younger, and that was just – that was the funniest thing ever when I was like 12 years old. I don't know if it's still funny. I haven't watched it in a while. Probably Mm -hmm. won't. So I guess I shouldn't be that upset, but I had to tell you just because we it came across this podcast, I had to comment on it. That movie is ridiculous. It should be a future review. Oh my god! Definitely. I don't even know if I want to watch that again. I remember watching that's the movie that would come on like Comedy Central at like one in the morning, like when I was younger, and I would crack up if I was at like a sleepover with my friends and we watched that. Like that's so much, so much childish like dirty humor, but it's like really funny. <laughs> Captain America. Oh my god, yeah. I, yeah. I forgot about that. Crazy. I know one for me that I like is Con Air, Nick Cage. Nick Cage, like classic Nick Cage movie. 
and I think that he's great in this. And also, uh, John Malkovich is in this as well, and he's kind of crazy, and this is kind of crazy on the plane with him. Uh, they're prisoners on a plane being transported to a, a different area, and the prisoners try to take over the plane, and it's crazy. So, highly recommend Who doesn't that. know Con Air? Well, it's an old 90s movie. It's motherfucking prisoners on this motherfucking plane. But that's coming to Hulu. I'm going to have to send it. It's on Hulu now. Definitely watch it. Nick Cage with long long hair. It's the best. Yeah, with long hair. Flowing. But I think that wraps up uh, Ricky Flicks's uh, Ricky Flicks's picks, uh, streaming picks of the week um, of the month. I'll hit it back over to Nez over there. All right, so that just about does it for the 14th episode of the Drive In Podcast. Thank you very much for joining us, everybody. Um, tune in next week. Every Tuesday, everybody follow us on Instagram, the drive-in pod, uh, the drive-in pod.com. We have all, uh, we have a bunch of articles coming out on the latest news. Follow us on Twitter, uh, follow us on, like us on Facebook and, uh, yeah, we'll see you next week. Smile.